Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I like get choked up every time I watch that. It's awesome, isn't it? It's so exciting. Well, hey, um, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at Brookside, and uh, it is just a privilege for us to be together to worship in, in this place this morning. And uh, if you're newer to Brookside, again, welcome. So glad that you're here. I can't wait to unpack with you the next three weeks, uh, four weeks, including this morning, really <clears throat> where we sense God is leading Brookside Church, and I'm uh, so excited for that. Uh, this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so turn there now. Maybe you've got an app or your Bible, flip there now. We'll put the verses on the screen as well. Um, but <clears throat> we're going to be in the, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians over the course of these four weeks. And what I love about the passage that we're going to look at this morning specifically is that it really captures the why behind everything that we do as a church. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, these few verses, they, they really talk about what compels us as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you're going to see in, these, in this passage this morning, you're going to see the motivation behind what compels a local church. Um, we see this starting clear back in Genesis chapter 3, right at the very beginning of the scriptures. We see that every single person, definitely including me and including all of us, every single person on the planet needs a spiritual second chance. Now, when I say second chance, um, I, I don't mean that it, we need a, a second chance to try harder. What I, I mean is this. In the scriptures, we see this, that through Jesus Christ, we get a second chance to have an entirely brand new life. It's the message of the scriptures. We see it throughout that we get to, because of God's grace, get invited into this incredible opportunity. And so if you're a Christian, there was a time in your life when you had one set of motivations, uh, there was a time in your life when you had one set of goals. There was a time in your life where you had certain emotions and certain feelings and certain aspirations. And then by the grace of God, you met Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, that newfound relationship in Jesus Christ, that second chance that's actually a new life, you have a new set of goals for your life. You have new motivations. You have different things that you, get you out of bed in the morning. You have different things that you put on your I hope one day list. And those things you hope that they will bring so much honor and so much glory to God that one day you'll be able to stand before God and your God, your loving Heavenly Father will say to you, well done. You lived well. You stewarded everything that I gave you in a God-honoring way. What I love about the message of the scriptures is this, every single person gets offered into that kind of a life. The most joy-filled, the most purpose-packed life possible. And so we're going to talk about that. I also want to, though, take the opportunity this morning to really celebrate some of the things that God has done in the past and, and to share with you, obviously, some of the exciting things that are ahead. If you're newer to Brookside, this morning is going to really get, give you a very good feel of who we are as a church and really what's important to us. You're going to be able to walk out of here and you're going to know, I know what motivates this church. I, I know what they're about. I know what drives their decisions. I know why they do the things that they do. And if you aren't a Christian, this is going to be helpful for you this morning, too, because you're going to be able to understand, okay, when you lift up the hood on the car of a Christian, you're going to be able to see what's under the hood. Like, why do they do the things that they do? Why do they think the way that they do? What motivates? What's under the hood of their actions? But first, I want to celebrate some things with you, and I want to start with last weekend. We saw God do some incredible things. So many of you, you prayed some big prayers. 
You, you, you said, God, I, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to make an invitation to a friend or to a neighbor or to a coworker. And I just want to say to you, way to go. Our mission as a church is we want to do everything that we possibly can as we look at our city, as we look at our influence. We want to do everything that we can to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus Christ. And so last weekend, we, we had uh, in this service, we gave people the opportunity to be baptized, to, to, to say publicly, I'm in with Jesus Christ. I want to publicly declare that I'm with him, that he is my God, that I love him, and that I long to live for him, with him as the leader of my life. We saw 32 people come forward and say, I want to be baptized. And then, yeah, you can clap for that. Exactly. It's awesome. And then we had this illustration on the stage because we see in the scriptures that it's very clear in life. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we put two big doors up here on stage and we said, hey, you can pick. You can either choose death and you can choose the way of kind of a selfish life, a life that is, you know, oftentimes filled with a, you know, bondage and addiction and all sorts of things that God totally longs for you not to have in your life. Or you can choose the life, choose the door that leads to life, abundant life, not just now, but really for all of eternity, life in relationship with your creator. It's an amazing offer that God gives us. And so we saw several people in both of these services walk through the door of life and accept Jesus Christ for the very, very first time. And I just want to say to you, church, way to take some risks. Some of you picked up the phone and you made a risky phone call. Some of you walked across the street. Some of you walked down the hall at work and you made a risk. You took a risk and you did it because God's love compels you. Because you know, God, you gave me a second chance. And so, Lord, I want to do everything I can to give someone else that second chance, that new spiritual life. And so I want to commend you. I also want to take a moment, though, and just for us to be able to express our incredible appreciation for all of our volunteers that do an amazing job and our staff team, that they help things happen week in and week out. And so would you, with me, let's just show our appreciation. They did a phenomenal job again last week. Let's just thank them. We get to do what we get to do because of so many people that invest in this church, and so thank you. Um, now to something else that's really exciting. <clears throat> In addition to welcoming our guests here this morning and, and everyone else here in the room, we've got another group that we want to welcome this morning for the very, very first time. You guys know the story. About five years ago, I was sitting at a leadership conference, and at one point during the conference, this conference was being broadcast all over the United States. And at one point during the conference, they showed different locations all over the United States, and then they showed this one location that was in a prison. And so they showed these inmates all in their prison uniforms, and they were sitting in rows. And I thought to myself, wow, here these prisoners are. They're hearing the same content that I'm hearing. They're being inspired in the same way that I'm being inspired. They're learning the same things that I'm learning. And I asked myself the question, and it really planted the seed. Okay, we're a church that we long to live. We painted on the wall. We long to live for the city. What would it be like? Is it possible? We have a jail right here in our own community. Would it be possible for us to be able to take a portion of our service to be able to have a group of volunteers that would go down and would care for and listen to and pray with and interact with different inmates? And could we, in a sense, could we take this service and allow it to be in another place? 
And so we began to talk to and learn from other churches that were doing this, and, and the process went on. And let me tell you a little bit about the Douglas County Correction Center right here in our own city. It holds 1,500 inmates. This jail is broken down into what they call 30 mods. And think of it like this. Think of, of 30 groups of cells that are all kind of in a U-shape, and then there's a common meeting space in the middle. These prisoners, they need a second chance. Think of the people that, that close the door to these cells. As we've been taking these tours, we've taken many of you down to the jail. I've had different people come up to me and say this, my brother's in jail. Thank you for doing this. My mom's incarcerated. We had one guy that saw his stepdad in, in jail on the tour. I mean, we know, you know these people, some of them. It's personal. We put a face with these 1,500 people. And so over the course of the last several months, Mark Thingball has been assembling some great volunteers that are going to be taking our service down to the jail each Sunday. And these people are going to host a service, these volunteers. And we've been assigned, assigned mod number seven. And it's the Substance Abuse Recovery Unit. And it holds 65 men. And let me just say to you, church, as we live for the city, you need to know this about these 65 men. They are souls that matter to God. And I'm telling you, they are eager, eager to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. These teams have been going down there already, kind of getting ready for this launch. And these guys are thirsty. These guys are ready. These guys are excited for us to come with them, for them to become a part of our church. And so my guess is these guys haven't been noticed, and they surely haven't been cheered on in a long time, maybe some of them ever before. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pretend we just started our service. I'm going to look into the camera, and I'm going to welcome them as a part of our church today. Church, this is a big moment, right? This is our first, second campus. And so what I want you to do is I want you to be so loud. You can stand to your feet, whatever you feel moved to do. But let's let them know there is a church in the city that notices them, that cares for them that wants them to get a second chance that we've been given, that wants them to have a better future. Okay, so you ready? Enough. Ready? Okay. Here we go. I got to get this just right. No, I'm just kidding. Are you ready? I should, like, walk out again. <clears throat> it was a great video, wasn't it? All right. Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. In addition to welcoming our guests here this morning, we also want to welcome the men in mod number seven at our very first Correctional Center campus. We want to welcome you guys here this morning. stay standing. We're going to pray for these guys in just a second. Guys, we want you to know this. We want you to know that we are a church in your city that cares for you. We are a church that's for you. We are a church that's been praying for you. We are a church that looks at your future and we see this for you. We see better days. We are a church that sees the gospel changing us, a group of people that desperately need it. And our prayer is that you're going to feel the effect of Jesus Christ impacting your heart and your life. So we're going to pray for you. Brookside, if you'd extend your hands as though we're saying, Lord, would you extend a blessing to these men? Heavenly Father, this is a big moment for us as a church. So Lord, we want to say in this moment 
we welcome these men into our church. And God, we pray for them. We pray that you would bless them and you would keep them. We pray, Lord, that you would make your face shine upon them. Lord, we pray that the gospel would impact them just as it's impacting us. And so now, right here, all of us together, we say this, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, we long to hear from you this morning. God, would you do in our hearts the things that only you can do? Lord, would you do immeasurably more, more than we could ask or imagine? We love you, Lord, and we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Guys, it's great to have you here. Well, today we're launching into this four-week message series that's going to lead us, church. It's going to lead us into the next three years for the life of our church. So over the course of these next four weeks, I want to tell you where we're heading, two projects in particular that are really going to have a big impact on our city. But first, I want to do this. First, I want to say thank you. Because three years ago, we launched into an initiative called, an initiative called For the City. And so many of you, really hundreds of families, hundreds of households, said, yes, we want to be a part of that. And because you were a part of that, because you sacrificed, and because you said, yes, we're all in for the cause of Jesus Christ, because of that, we get to talk about the things that we get to talk about today. And so a huge, huge thank you. You know, coming off of those last three years, we decided to call this next initiative immeasurably more for the city. We're still looking at two things that are going to really impact the city, but we also know this. When we were in the last three years, there was a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and it became very important to us as a church. And the reason why it became so important to us and the reason why we've called the next three years immeasurably more for the city is because we want to continue to pray prayers where we ask God, Lord, would you do immeasurably more? In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he's praying for this church in Ephesus. And before he lays out these words that verse 20, where he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, before that he talks about the love of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But when Paul gets to the end of these, this prayer, he prays these big, big words, and he prays them because he knows what kind of God that we serve. He knows what kind of a heavenly father that you have. He knows that, okay, we can go to him with the dreams that we have. We can go to him with our lives. We can go to him with our city that's in great need, and we can say, God, would you do, please, God, would you do immeasurably more? God, would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? And so what we want to do, and this is why it's our theme for the next three years, we want to lean in and we want to say, God, would you do immeasurably more? Let me read these verses to you. The Apostle Paul writes this. This is the end of the prayer. He says, now to him who is able, he, only he, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask, and that means in your life, that means in your family, that means with your hopes, with your dreams, that means in our city according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so what we're going to do, church, is we're going to pray that prayer. God, would you do immeasurably more? The family in the church gave us this gift, this big picture, and it has this verse on it. And so right by our dinner table, it says immeasurably more. It's this reminder to us. God, you can do immeasurably more in my marriage. God, you can do immeasurably more in my children's life. God, in my singleness, you can do immeasurably more 
more than I could ask or imagine. God, you can look at a city that's filled with thousands, really hundreds of thousands of people that don't know you, and God, you can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And so, church, that's our prayer for these years. Okay, let's get to our text for this morning. If you've got your Bible open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's get to work. What I love about this passage, again, is that it captures so well the why behind everything that we do as a church. A little context, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter, specifically this chapter, with the hope in mind that the love of Christ will compel the hearts and the actions of his listeners. He's writing these verses and he's just hoping, okay, when you read these, I hope that you're reminded of the magnitude of the love of Jesus Christ and then that you'll be propelled, that you be compelled then to action as a result of this reminder. And so the verses that I'm going to draw our attention to are verses 14 and 15. Let me read them and then we're going to come back and we'll do the whole passage. It says this, verse 14, chapter 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me ask you a question. What compels you? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What compels you? Let me ask you, have you ever had someone do something for you? They either gave you a gift or they just served you in such a way, and you were so blown away by what they did, by the blessing that they put on you, that it compelled you to want to do either something similar or something different, but in the same vein, right back either to them or to someone else. It compelled you. What they did compelled you. Some of you, you love doing this. You love very intentionally speaking words of life into other people because you felt the power of someone doing it to you. Others of you, you open your homes. You open your homes to foster kids, you open your homes to strangers, all sorts of things. Why? Because you've been on the receiving end of that, and the way that you were loved, it compels you. For others of you, whenever you meet somebody, and it doesn't matter how long you've known them, you feel compelled to share Jesus Christ with them. You feel compelled at every opportunity. You want to invite them, you want to bring them, you want to talk to them. Why? Because you've been compelled. You've experienced something that's compelling you to action. This passage is all about how since Jesus Christ died for us, his grace is so good, it's so magnificent that we don't deserve it, but we get it. But in light of what we receive, what does it do? It compels the church to move forward. Let's really dive into this. Look at verse 13. Paul writes this. He says, if we are out of our mind, If we are, in other words, beside ourselves, some translations say, he says, hey, if we are crazy, if you aren't a Christian and you've always thought it seems like Christians are sometimes out of their minds, there's a Bible verse right there to support it. There you go. He says, if we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for Christ's love It compels us. Other translations say Christ's love, it controls us. In other words, Paul is saying that when I think about the love of God, it controls what I do. Like when I think about the magnitude of how much God loves me, how much his love cost, it compels me. It moves me to action. It, in a sense, the love of God, think about this, the love of God controls my actions. I love it. Before we get to those verses where we read that prayer now to him who is able to do a measure be more than all that we can ask or imagine before paul prays that for the ephesians do you know what he said to them verse 17 chapter 3 he said and i pray that you 
being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp, here it is, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses passes knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. What Paul wanted so much was this. He said, if you could just grasp the love of God, it will control you. Like if you can wrap your brain around how big, how wide, how deep, how much it costs, how about the sacrifice that was involved, all if you can grab your grapple with the magnitude of the love of God, it will compel you. It will move you. It will control your actions. The Apostle Paul saw things undoubtedly through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ, and it compelled how he lived. I heard it illustrated this way. Imagine that you're walking up to your house, and, and when you get to your house, there's a friend of yours that's been waiting there for you, waiting for you to get home. And that friend says to you, hey, while you were gone, I paid your debt. Now, how would you respond to that friend? It depends, doesn't it? Depends on what they paid, what debt they paid. Because if the post office man just came up to the, to the house and said, hey, you forgot to put your 55-cent stamp on your letter, you owe the debt. And your friend said, oh, I got that. And so if your friend said to you, hey, I paid, paid your debt, well, really, what was my debt? Oh, it was 55 cents. What would you say? What would be your response? Hey, thank you. Pat on the back. Way to go. Appreciate it. But let's imagine this. While you're gone, your friend's waiting at the house, and you show up, and your, your friend says, hey, I paid your debt. And you say, you paid my debt? He says, yeah, I paid your debt. The mafia showed up today, and your gambling past has caught up with you. They said that you owe them millions, and they weren't waiting around for you to show up to pay them. They were actually looking for you because they want to take your life because they're tired of waiting for you to pay them. But I stepped in, and I said, oh, I've got a lot of money. I can pay. This is going to empty my account, but I love my friend, and so I'm going to give everything I've got to pay your debt. That's what I did for you today. That's, that's the debt I paid. Now, how would you respond to your friend? I don't think you'd say, high five, let's go out for ice cream. No. You know what the Apostle Paul wants us to do? The Apostle Paul, he knows the magnitude of the love of God. He knows the debt that's been paid. And so he says this, in light of, I hope that you can grasp how, how wide and deep and high, everything around the love of God, because when you grasp it, it will control you. It will compel you. Your motivations will change. The way you look at your city will change. The way that you look at your relationships will completely change. I was at a soccer game yesterday, and I was thinking about this, standing with a bunch of parents. This guy next to me, I'm an introvert, so I like just to, I love just to stand, not talk. It's beautiful. Quiet. You people stress me out. <laughs> I love quiet rooms. So, but I was thinking, okay, does the love of God compel you? Because if the love of God compels you, you surely ought to be trying to have a conversation. I thought, oh, yeah, the love of God compels me. I'll turn to my, turn to my right. Meet this guy. He's from India. Had a great conversation. You know what this guy's interested in? He's interested in his kids being well cared for. And I just happen to know a place that really cares about the next generation. And so what do you think the compelled love of God was nudging me to do? So I turned to him and I said, at the end of our conversation, I said, hey, you know, this church thing you asked me where I worked, I told you, um, we love the next generation. And so I got to tell him about that. But you know the only reason why I turned and shared? Do you know why? 
It was because I was reminded, okay, if God's love has compelled Jeff, then Jeff's actions change. Paul goes on to say this. Look at these verses. He goes on, verse 15. Again, God's love, it compels us to action. He says, and he died for all that those who live, here it is, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Church, we are called to big things. We are not called to our preferences. We're called to God's purposes. Why? Well, because the love of God is so great. We don't deserve it, but whoa, whoa, whoa. You think we got it? And that love, what does it do? It drives us to action. You know, I do things for my kids that I would never do naturally. But because of them, but because of my love for them, it compels me to action. Church, God's love for us, it compels us to purpose. Verse 16, he says, So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, Christ transforms how you see people. You don't just see people as maybe the world sees people often of, hey, what can that person do for me? No. When you see people, you see souls. You see beyond their errors. You see beyond their imperfections. You see beyond whatever roadblocks the world would put up. We see souls as a church. One of our values, all people matter to God. That's looking at people not with the worldly point of view, but with the view that God looks at them as. So he says, we no longer regard anyone with a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ even in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Beautiful verse, verse 18. And all of this, this is so important, church, don't miss this. All of this, he says, it's from God. It's from him who reconciled us. It's our invitation to him. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us, this is cool, he gave you, every single one of you, this is not the pastor's job, primarily. He gave every single person, look at this, the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that God was, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us to you. He, he committed you to this. This is so important. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Let me sum, sum this up. If Jesus died for us, then the goal of our lives is to help as many people as possible know the good love of God. Verse 20, we are therefore, he's summarizing now, we are therefore, since Christ has so impacted us, we are therefore to be professional Christian church consumers waiting for the church to bless me and meet every single one of my needs. No. We are there for what? Look at the text. I hope the church meets your needs. I hope the church blesses my family as well. But here it is. Look at the text. We are there for Christ's ambassadors. Remember, you're called to the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents another government or a king. We are Christ's ambassadors so as though God were making his appeal, strong language, his appeal through us. And then look at this next part. He says, we implore you. So now looking at the souls of all of human race, not looking at them as the world sees them, but looking at them through the lens of Jesus Christ. He says, we implore you. We long for you. We beg you. 
be reconciled to God. Verse 12, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that we might stand before God with full confidence, 100% justified before God because of Jesus Christ. So the first question with this text is this, are you reconciled to God? And then the second question is this, if you are reconciled to God, are you compelled? Has the love of God, has it so consumed you that you put aside your preferences and you say, God, what are your purposes? Has it so consumed you, the second chance that God gave you to be reborn, to experience the kind of life that one day you'll not only spend now in relationship with Jesus Christ, but for all of eternity? Has that compelled you? Is that, is that moving you and I? Aren't you grateful for the people that went before you and I that were compelled by the love of God? I tell you what, when I was 19 years old, a young man named Jake, he was so compelled by the love of God, he could have done a ton of things. He's an engineering student, he's super busy, athletic guy, busy guy. But he was so compelled by the love of God that he noticed me and he began to talk to me and began to share the gospel with me. I'll tell you what, if he walked through these doors, I'd run off the stage and hug him. You know why? Because I'm so grateful he was compelled by the love of God. Where would my life be had God not, not gotten a hold of it? I, I think about the small group of families. They were compelled by the love of God. In 1981, they had a dream. Hey, we should start another church in Omaha. So they called Steve and Becky, our founding pastor, and his wife. And they called them. In that group, they were courageous. But they were compelled by the love of God. And they dreamed big dreams, and they cared about people, and they, they didn't look at people as the way the world looks at them. They looked at people through the lens of these are souls that desperately need to know Jesus Christ in a city that's full of them. And so they sacrificed. They met in rented facilities. They set up chairs. They took them down. I love seeing these pictures. They did all of these things because they were compelled by the love of God. They sacrificed more. They bought land. They sacrificed more. They built a building. They sacrificed more, they added on to the building that we're sitting in right now. And they continued to do this. Why? Because they were compelled by the love of God. Why does a local church get to thrive for not just two or three years, a couple good years, but why does a local church get to thrive not for one decade or two decades or three decades, but why does a local church like this get to thrive now into it, well into its fourth decade? Why? Because there were a group of people that time and time again, they were compelled by the love of God, and they counted the cost, and every time they counted the cost, they said, it's worth it. We're all in. Why are we all in? Because eternity matters. Because God's love has been so good and so abundant to us. We're all in, compelled by the love of God. I think of many of you three years ago, you took up the challenge as a church. We said, hey, church, we want to be a city that we live more for the city. We want to be a church that lives more for the city. And so many of you, you said, yes, I'm in. You counted the cost, though, because there was a cost. You counted the cost, and you said, yes, we're in. We want to do that. And you think about where would we be had we not taken that journey three years ago. But now look at where we are. Think about the care center. The care center was this opportunity. We knew we had a very clear path to bless and care for these 3,000 kids that are in the foster care system in our city. And so we built that care center, built it, paid cash for it. 
To date, it's only been open 18 months. We said, Lord, we want to be a voice for those who need a voice. We want to, Proverbs 31, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And now you know what's so beautiful about it? To date, it's served over 1,200 kids. But the great news is this. We're now starting to serve not just kids in the foster care system. We're beginning to clothe and care for kids that are just impoverished. And so dozens, and I'm not kidding, dozens and dozens of schools, these social workers in these schools are handing out these coupons to these families, and they're saying, hey, you should come. We would love to bless you. We would love to give your kid a dignified experience. We would love for your kid to walk away and go, what was that? That was great. What's behind all of that? Just two weeks ago, a woman in our care center was shopping for her kids. And she saw one of these little invitation cards to our Easter services. She's from a predominantly Islamic country. And she said to one of our volunteers, get this, she said, what is Easter? And she got to hear that day just across the hallway, what is Easter? Why are we so excited? What's the difference that Jesus makes in the life of a person? He took the journey, church. He said, for the city, let's do this. Looking ahead. I want to tell you about two exciting projects. First, we got to answer this question. Why did we buy a second campus? Why did we buy this building in Oakhorn? We have to understand the why so clearly. We bought it because we are compelled by the gospel. We bought it because we want to continue to be a church that we look at a very big city, well over 600,000 people, very conservative number that likely do not know Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, we want to be compelled by the gospel. We've got about 115 families that already live out in that zip code. Families that are saying things like this to us, hey, thank you for taking this step because you know what? We've been trying to invite our friends and our neighbors and they're like, Brookside, what? 120th and where? And I kind of go, come on, it's 20 minutes. We're right off the interstate. But you know what? I don't shop at Target on the other side of the city either. So I get it. And so what we want to do is we want to say, how can we strategically take a group of our own people and how can we take the gospel? How can we, again, how can we be compelled by the love of God? Because of your generosity, that building is completely paid for. And now in these next three years, we're saying this, we need to get that thing ready for services. We need to renovate it. Every time I sit in that sanctuary in Elkhorn, and I love just sitting in the back, and I love sitting in the back and I love imagining Who's going to sit in these seats who was once like me? Who's going to sit in these seats and the scriptures for the first time are going to come to life for them? They're going to understand God's word. They're going to understand, okay, how do I live for God? They're going to get a vision. Okay, what does it mean for me to raise up the next generation? Do you know the average age out in Elkhorn is 36.3? That means that there's a whole lot of young families that are raising up the next generation that church, 20,000 cars drive by it every single week, every, sorry, every single day. We have such an opportunity for the gospel church. Thank you for helping us be ready for it. The second thing that you're going to be hearing us talk a lot more about, even next weekend in particular, but I want to just make you aware of it and talk a little bit about it this morning. Our second project is that we are very aware that in our city, the fastest growing population in the Omaha metro, the only population actually that's growing exponentially is the Hispanic population. Projections are saying that in just 20 years from now, the Hispanic population will represent 25% of Omaha's population. 
20 years ago, one in 20 people were of Hispanic origin. In just 20 years, that number will go from one in four. We are compelled by the love of God. All people matter to God. So we've been asking this question for years now. Are we strategically located at this campus that we could have a bilingual service? If you look around even this area, if you look, in the, if you look at the stores in the neighborhood, particularly the schools in this area, this area continues to become more and more diverse, and the church options for many of these Hispanic families are very limited, particularly in the level of programming that's offered to their children. And so Brookside's been asking this question, could we provide something in a unique way for these families? I don't know if you know this, but our hub, our sanctuary upstairs is empty for one service each weekend. During one of our services, it sits empty. And so our intent is to do this. It's to hold a bilingual service up in that space right as these two services are meeting down here. These Hispanic children, as you know, they're growing up in English-speaking schools. So English is the children's primary language, but the heart language of their parents and surely their grandparents is Spanish. And so we want to provide an experience, a bilingual experience. It doesn't divide the family but a service where they can sit together and their needs can be met on the spiritual front. All people matter to God. The fastest growing population in our city. Where are we strategically located as a church? We look at this opportunity and we say, Lord, as we look into the future, we've got an opportunity for the gospel right here at this campus. We'll talk a lot more about that next weekend. Brookside, why do we do what we do? Brookside, why do we do what we do here in this place? Why do we do what we do in the jail? Why do we do what we do with a clothing center? Why do we do what we do with the next generation? Why do we look at people with, of different ethnicities? Why do we do what we do in other parts of the city? Why? Because of the love of God. And it's because it's touched you, it's because it's touched me, and because it compels us. And our gratitude to God is the motivator to say, Lord, could somebody get a second chance? Could somebody get that new life in Christ because of what this local church would do? And so I want to mention three things as I close really quickly. The first is this. When you leave here today, you're going to get one of these brochures. And this brochure lays out better than I have up here all the things that we're looking to do in the next couple of years. And so I would ask you to do this. Would you read this as you get it today? But then would you begin to pray? There's this verse, our theme verse is on the back of it. But would you begin to pray? God, would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in this church? Number two, you're gonna, you see on the sides here, we've got these immeasurably more for the city, these big letters on both sides of our auditorium. The reason why we've got those there is because after this service and before services, for the next several weeks, we want to invite you, go up there, grab one of the Sharpie markers, it's on the table, and would you write the name of someone in our city that you're praying for? You can even write out a short prayer for them. Or maybe for you, you just need to ask God maybe for a week, and then you'll write out your stuff in a couple weeks, but you need to begin to say, Lord, what is your, your desire for me to be praying for our city? Maybe you can write out a prayer for that Elkhorn campus, write out a prayer for our church, but do that in the next a couple of weeks. The last thing that I want to mention to you is this. On Wednesday night from 7 to 8 o'clock in this room, we're going to kick off this three-year initiative by coming together and worshiping Jesus together and praying some big prayers, praying some immeasurably more prayers. And so I just want to invite you back to this room on Wednesday night as we do that together. 
Let me close in this way. Back to our question. What compels me? What compels you? What moves you? What breaks your heart? What causes you to want to put the purposes of God over the preferences of you? Let's pray that God would well up in us a desire to be compelled by the love of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that the love of God is so good to us that, Father, we're the kind of people that we stand with our citizenship in heaven secure. We stand as children of the living God. And, Lord, this morning we just want to pray, Lord, as we take on a new journey, it's a risky journey, it's a, it's a journey that's a little scary even, but, God, as we step into some new areas, Lord, we're saying we don't want to be just a safe church that just looks inward. God, we want to look outward. We want to say, God, we want to be compelled. God, we want to be on the move for you. And so, Lord, in these next several years, in these next, particularly these next four weeks, God, would you do something in us? Would you, Lord, do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? And would we be able to stand back in four weeks and say, you know what? We're all in. God, we want to be a part of what only you can do in our city. God, would you do among us immeasurably more? Father, thank you for these opportunities you give us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.